Hey there, welcome to the Truth and Gratitude Podcast. My name is Brooke Schneider and I am your host here on the Truth and Gratitude Podcast, as well as the writer slash blogger for the Truth and Gratitude blog. What are you going to find with Truth and Gratitude? You're going to find truth, capital T truth. You're going to find faith, all things about faith, as well as travel. These are a lot of the things that I'm super pumped and excited to be sharing with you about. You can check out on the blog all the adventure guides that have been written um, in regards to all the travel and adventure that we've been on, as well as here on the podcast. But also, you're going to be hearing a lot about capital T truth, not my truth, not your truth, but the controversial topic of the truth, capital T, right? As well as things in regards to our faith. And so I'm so excited for you to be here today. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Truth and Gratitude podcast. This is Brooke, and we are on our next segment here as we're covering the Live Your Truth and Other Lies book by Lisa Childers. So if you have been uh, following along, you know that we have been dissecting uh, basically things that culture tells us and really focusing on the importance of the words that we use and the meanings that they have and really taking a magnifying lens to the things that culture says to us and pretty much dissecting it. If you haven't been joining along and you want to listen to the other podcast episodes, just go through the last few weeks or the previous few podcast episodes and just dive in and, uh, and see if you can take a look and understand what Elisa is trying to get at. She writes on her book that it's all about exposing popular deceptions that make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. And I feel like we have all been there a time or two. So what a great time to be able to go through those, um, those recent podcast episodes. So the last few uh, segments that we've done, we have combined two chapters together. And today we are going to combine three. Um, We're going to make it as short and sweet and simple as we can, but we are going to go through the next three chapters today. Um, The first one is going to be Mosquitoes. The second one is called McJudgy Pants, and the last one is called Friends. But before I dive into all of that, I just have to say that um, this week, for me, whenever you're listening to this podcast episode, um, later on down the road, that's totally fine, but this re- most recent week in our family's life has been pretty, pretty um, interesting. It's been um, high emotion and excitement and um, just a lot of things going on. Um, my family and I were recently baptized this past weekend at our church, and it was a big step in our faith to basically show everyone that we are followers of Christ. Um, and I've been baptized before. Um, I was baptized, I think when I was around 10 or so. Um, and so originally the very first time that I had been baptized, I went to, um, a Baptist church and, um, you know, was baptized and, um, you know, I don't know how your church would have done it, but I remember specifically like you had the Bible verse, you know, to be the salt and light of the world. And the pastor would like put salt on his finger and put it on your tongue. Obviously, this was before COVID days. So he'd put the salt on his finger, place it on your tongue, and then to remind you to be the salt of the world, and you'd walk out with like a candle. They'd light a candle and you'd walk out. And I just remember that being like the coolest thing ever. Um, but I remember being baptized just because that's what my parents wanted me to do. Um, 
I mean, they didn't force me into it, but I, you know, it was just the thing to do. And so I really felt the nudge and really just felt like it was time for me to be baptized again and recommit my life. Um, just after the past year, the amazing journey that I have been on, um, the journey my husband has been on, the journey my child has been on. And so we all together did it together. Um, we were baptized, um, all together. And it was just an amazing experience to all do it together. Uh, we, we were all on this like high, you know, for the rest of the day, we were just excited. And so, um, it's been really, really a really good week, but I will say that it's been a very emotional week because, you know, I personally feel like, you know, as soon as, you know, you profess your faith out there like that, man, some, some trials really come your way, you know, like, I personally feel like the enemy does not like, you know, us sticking up for Christ and being vocal about it and being upfront and saying, Hey, you know, I'm a Christ follower. Um, and so our family has really dealt with some situations more specifically, my husband, um, just having some dear friends in the hospital and, you know, really, um, having to put prayer into practice in, he has had such an amazing experience just diving into prayer, you know, being there for his friend and his friend's family and and um and really seeing God move. I mean, it's been very very interesting and very fun, I would say, to watch. Um as dire as the situation is and as um serious it is with his friend, um, I will say that it's been amazing to watch. We've had an army, literally an army of people who are invested, um, praying for his friend, you know, checking in, getting updates, you know, and just continuously being in prayer for, um, him and his family. And I will say that, you know, um, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't as serious about prayer for so long. Like I would, I wouldn't even tell people like, oh, I'm praying for you because I knew that I wouldn't do it. Um, as horrible as that sounds, I'm just being open and honest. I wouldn't do it. I really, um, I really didn't know the power of prayer and it has taken me seeing this hands-on experience. I mean, I'm not even there experiencing it all. I mean, my husband is more so, but you know, just hearing the things that he's seen, um, and watching how we have been lifting his friend up in prayer and then seeing these massive improvements, just this, this amazing going literally from like life threatening situation to like thriving and on the road to recovery. I mean, it has been a beautiful process for just a small amount of time. And, um, so I just have to share that, you know, it's, it's like immediately as we were all baptized, like we were immediately, um, we were immediately having, having to put our faith, you know, into practice immediately and our trust. And that leads us straight into today's chapter, which the first one we're going to do is called mosquitoes. And what the perfect time of year to talk about mosquitoes, it's getting really hot outside. It's getting closer to the summer and those horrible, horrific, uh, things that I truly believe that are created from the pits of hell mosquitoes are already coming out. I already have one nice gnarly bite on the back of my leg and it's just, I hate, I hate mosquitoes. But this particular chapter talks all about God just wants you to be happy. And this 
This right here is a struggle, and I really truly believe that this is a struggle for Christians and a struggle for non-Christians to fully understand, you know, if we are Christ followers, if we are Christians, then why in the world do we suffer? Why do people suffer? Um, and not only that, why do people go through horrific things? Why do children get cancer? Why do families um, separate? Why, why are there affairs? Why are families broken? Why, why all these things? Why is there suffering? And that is the big question. That is a question that will haunt every person no matter if you believe or don't believe. And that is a very hard question to answer. So we're going to go through this particular chapter. <clears throat> but actually, Elisa um, starts off this chapter talking about her friend, Medine, who was in the native, she was a native to the Congo. And um, she was just talking about as her friend was in the Congo, um, there was always, she says, a never ceasing danger. There was always the militias and the gangs. And her and her family, Medine, were forced to escape and to leave. And she says that her family was forced to trek through forested areas on feet bruised from stone-capped terrain in order to find food and shelter. So she goes through this whole situation about how they had no food, food was scarce, she had to walk in order to find food for her family, all in... um. She was saying that the water, a lot of things that they, um, a lot of things that they came across were very dirty and contaminated. And she, she mentions this. She says for her friend to reach where the food was, they had to pass through streams of army ants. Some of the ants would drop from the trees onto us. Others would climb our legs. We had to strip and pick off the ants. We could brush off the ants' bodies, killing them, but we still had to remove the heads from our skin. So it's just this like horrific suffering picture of like these. I mean, if I could only imagine, like I'm not, I'm freaking out about you know mosquitoes on me, but these these gnarly ants like coming and just attacking them, right? And she goes on to explain that um, also. Uh, the women that were that were not only were they having dirty water and searching for food, but also during this part of the time of getting away from the militia and the gangs, um, the sexual assault was a massive problem. Um, she says that rape was a frequent frequent weapon of war, and also during this time, they faced malaria. So the mosquitoes, she says, outnumbered the people. She said about a bajillion to one. Medine and her family became a nonstop meal for these pests. She even said that Medine's baby's head was so covered with bites that it looked like he had grown a full head of hair overnight. I mean, I cannot even imagine. So this horrific situation of near-death experiences, true suffering, right? But she speaks about her adversity. And... She also says that because of this, because of this, that Medine had a real joy in her life, which in itself seems absolutely impossible. In fact, as it got closer to the end of the chapter, she talked about Medine's joy and how she had that joy. And she talked about how, let me see if I can find it for us. 
she spoke about how it's this joy that the, the culture and the world cannot understand. She even says that many Christians, they expect hard, they expected hardships, but nothing, something, no, nothing quite this horrific. She even says that as Christians, Christians expected hardship. She said, but they assumed that even though this life was with suffering, they had a God who walked with them in this world, offering a future hope of eternal bliss in the next. But she says that something happened in recent history that tossed the narrative upside down. We got rich. We became affluent and confident. We no longer needed to depend on God every single day or every second of every day because we had everything that we need. All things are good. We have everything we need. So therefore, we didn't need to rely on God so much anymore. And this this particular thing, all about suffering, she mentions that when we suffer and this is really this is a really hard concept when we suffer we are forced to take our eyes off of ourselves and we are forced to put them on Christ she says that it's actually not a lie that god wants you to be happy he does but it's depending on how you characterize happiness Culture tells us that happiness means controlling our circumstances in a way that allows us to have those good feelings as often as possible. And if we don't experience those good feelings, we should change our circumstances. But Christ in the Bible defines happiness in a completely different way. It's more so having that joy. It's a God-focused joy. It's not a self-centered mood enhancement. In fact... Biblical happiness doesn't come from having stuff, feeling good about our circumstances, or even finding romantic fulfillment. She goes on to say, true biblical happiness is knowing deep down that no matter our circumstances, we were lost and now we are found. So it's just just amazing how, as she goes throughout this chapter, she talks about many of the disciples and many of the followers of Christ really experienced true suffering. I think they experienced a whole other level of suffering that some of us today may never experience. I think for me, when I think about suffering, when I think about, you know, being a a Christian and being vocal about it, uh, there's a possibility that, you know, people may roll their eyes at me, call me religious, um, not understand, poke fun, make fun, uh, not talk to me, be canceled. But Guys, back in the day, like the disciples, most of them were all murdered, right? For the belief, the, or for the ways that they believed and the way that they lived and, and who they said Christ was. And more specifically, Paul, who once was Saul, okay, he originally was seeking out the people who were calling themselves Christians and having them murdered, okay? But as soon as he had that experience with Christ himself, he changed his name from Saul to Paul, and Paul endured hunger, thirst, and cold. He was kidnapped, beaten, whipped, imprisoned, ridiculed, shipwrecked, and stoned all before he was finally beheaded. Okay, so he went through all of the suffering before he had that ultimate suffering in his death. But he says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, famine, danger, and the sword. 
Paul understood, she wrote, that that to be truly happy, you're going to have to get comfortable with suffering. And this is where people are like, Ugh. this is where I am like, Ugh. oh my goodness, right? I don't think that God truly, I don't think God wants us to, I don't think he sits back and he's like, oh, they're suffering. I'm getting so much enjoyment out of this, right? I don't think that's, that's the whole point of this. I think the whole point is right here what Medine says. So Elisa asked her her friend Medine, her, she asked her all about, you know, as she's going on with this, if someone were to say to you, God just wants you to be happy, what would you say to that? So this is what Medine says. She says, being a Christian is not a Pollyanna syndrome where we are happy all the time. God created us with a range of emotions and on this earth, we will experience them. They help us grow into mature, well-balanced human beings. It is easy to wish we will always be happy, but life is not all roses. There are difficult times when we experience sadness and anger and heartbreak and grief. I thank God for times of happiness, but I thank him for difficult times too. All of these moments have allowed me to become the person God wants me to be. I have learned valuable lessons during my times as a war refugee and during the loss of my parents and sibling like treasures discovered in the darkness. I have also learned wonderful lessons when I'm happy. God wants us to have a dynamic and intimate relationship with him that will take us through times of hardship and joy. Elise goes on to say that we're not supposed to go out as Christians to find ways to suffer. We don't rejoice. We're not happy and excited when we are suffering. But there is purpose in our suffering in this life. There are lessons that we can learn. There is growth on the other side of our suffering. She says that our own personal wants, desires, and dreams, they have to go to the side, and that's very, very painful. And in this life, Christian or non-Christian, we are promised suffering. You know, I was having this conversation with my mom uh, actually today, and I was talking to her about how there was a comment made to me about how someone, you know, their their friend had become a Christian, but, you know, shortly thereafter, their friend had developed all these tumors and cancer. And they were kind of just like, this person was saying, you know, why is it that God allows this to happen? And that is a question that I have asked many, many times. I've asked many times, why is it, you know, if, if, if this happens to somebody and this happens, like, well, why, you know, why is this happen? And the answer I have for you is, I don't know why. All I know is that we live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where, where it was originally the way that God intended it to be was for it to be a perfect world, right? And then we had the original sin that came in. So there is a lot of things in our society, in our culture, and in our world that are not supposed to be there. It was never, it was never God's intention originally for us to suffer, that, that's, that was not the original plan. So there will be suffering in this life. There will be things that happen in this life that we just don't understand. That we just can't make sense of. But the way that my mom put it was she said that she had heard this comment made from a pastor. And he was talking about how following Christ and, and, and being a follower of him. It's almost like preparing for the weather. Meaning, she gave the example of, let's say it's snowing outside. 
That would probably never happen here where I am in South Georgia. But let's say it's snowing outside and I want to go outside. I'm going to go and I'm going to put on a coat. I'm going to put on some gloves, maybe a scarf. Okay. And when I walk outside, just because I put those things on, am I expecting that the snow will just automatically stop falling down? Just because I, could have cut, I put a coat on? No, absolutely not. Just because I'm putting on that coat, just because I'm putting on that scarf, does not mean that the snow will stop falling. It will mean that I'm a little bit prepared for the weather. It'll mean that, that I'm protected by wearing my coat and my scarf and my gloves. But it does not mean that the snow is going to stop. And that's kind of how life is. You know, just because... I am a Christ follower does not mean that the circumstances around me are going to stop. It doesn't mean that the, 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 the chaos and the, and the craziness is going to end in this world. But it does mean that I'm covered. I'm protected. So that's just one way to remember that. But I, I truly do feel that I don't believe that God sits back and enjoys watching us suffer. I don't believe that in the least bit. But I do believe that he uses our suffering to strengthen our character. It helps us grow. helps us mature. It helps us become more resilient. There are, um, I, I, there are good things that can come out of our suffering. As hard as it can be. As hard as it can be, I do believe that we can come out on the other side stronger. And I don't even believe you have to be a Christian to believe that. I think that we can all see that. When someone has come out resilient, you know, and, have fought, and has fought the fight, you know, it's been, it's hard, but we've made it out on the other side. All right, so moving on to the next chapter we have, it's called McJudgy Pants. And this is all about uh, someone saying you shouldn't judge. So this particular one, this one's going to be very short. Um, we've heard people talk about how you know, everyone's favorite Bible verse, apparently in the Bible, is saying, well, you shouldn't judge somebody. Um, but yet, they say that Christians are everybody's, um, they, they judge everyone. But it actually says that, as she goes on to write, that it seems to be that everybody's favorite Bible verse, or at least when they're trying to tell someone from telling them that they're wrong, is Matthew 7, 1. The words, judge not that you will not, or that you be not judged. Jesus says that. So she goes on to say that Jesus lets his audience know that when they judge, they should be very careful to make sure their judgment isn't hypocritical. When he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in order to see the speck uh, in your brother's eye, or in order to point out something um, to someone that, Hey, this, you shouldn't be doing this. You got to kind of, you've got to deal with yourself first, but then after you deal with yourself, you're then able to say that, well, that would mean that you're able to look at another person and you're able to judge on the choices that they're making. But one thing that I have to say about this is he, he was saying, Christ was saying that the hypocrisy has got to go out the window, right? This is one thing that in the Bible, the Pharisees, the people in the temple, the priests, this is one thing that they severely struggled with. You know, there were all of these laws, the laws of Moses that all of the Jews had to follow, you know, in order to 
to to do the right things, right? And the fulfillment of these laws, the things that they were doing, the number of laws that there were, and just the the magnitude and the and and the, just the amount of things that they had to do in order to be right was a lot. And these were things that were set by the Pharisees themselves, not necessarily by God. And so that is why Jesus had to come to simplify things. Um, but there was so much hypocrisy going on. There was so much, um, so many things that the Pharisees were doing that were so hypocritical, right? But they were judging others. They were condemning others. They were charging others um, on what they were doing. But yet they were doing the same exact thing. And so Jesus really spoke about that, about, you know, that if you're going to judge somebody, you know, then you need to take the speck out of your own eye. But I think that society confuses this with the fact that, well, someone shouldn't judge me at all in the decisions that I'm making. I will say um, that she gives the example that whenever she was in the band, if you aren't aware of this, Elisa was in um, the band Zoe Girl. And as she was in this band, she was actually going through um, some time of having an eating disorder. And her friend judged her, meaning her friend came to her and said, you know, this is not right. What are you doing? You know, and, and she said that because of that, because she quote unquote judged her, she was the catalyst for helping her get healthy again. She was the catalyst, she says, for bringing the, um, bringing her back into the light instead of the darkness she she had mentioned that if her friend had have, could have sat back, if she would have just sat back and said, you know, it's not my right to judge or it's not my place to judge her. Or I feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, if it's true for her and not necessarily for me, I'm just going to sit back. Who knows where she would be? You know, who who knows, um, who knows at one point in her life she would be if her friend had not stepped in. She had mentioned that when we say you shouldn't judge someone, really what we're saying is we should never criticize the moral choices of another person. And just going back to that example of her friend stepping in, I mean, she she helped her friend get on the right path all because she, quote unquote, judged. The one thing that I want to say about this, actually there's two things. I do believe that if you are criticizing the moral choices of another person, um, if you're looking at someone and you're like, hey, you know, that's that's not right what they're doing. I'm going to say something to them. Well, first thing is, is you got to do exactly what Jesus had said. Take the plank out of your own eye, you know, like before you get the speck out of your friend's eye. Meaning we have a lot bigger things probably that we need to we need to address within our own lives to get the, even the teeniest speck out of our friend's eye, right? So we need to actually kind of really go through our own selves and just come take a look at the things like many things or bigger issues within ourselves before we even go and address even the smallest issue within within our friends. So we can't be hypocritical. And number two, the next thing I think is that we must have a relationship with that person. I personally feel like it, it is it is so much better received when you have a relationship with that person. I can think of an instance where um, an assumption was made about me at one point in time. I was I was actually even told 
you know, I, that I was a certain way that I was, um, that I was not an easy person to talk to. I was aggressive. And I remember it just really kind of bothering me that someone had said this about me because I truly felt like it wasn't a true reflection of my character. Um, I felt like I'm just an open, honest, vulnerable person. I kind of say exactly what's on my heart. But I felt like that it was not being received in that way very well. And all of a sudden it hit me. It hit me that, you know, I could take, I could take criticism. You know, if I'm truly being a certain way, I can take criticism. That's fine. But the person that was saying this about me did not have a relationship with me. I truly felt like this person did not know me and who I truly was at my core. I don't think that they understood my character very well. And so I had to set that aside and just remember that, you know, that this person, when they don't have a correct, they may not have a correct picture of who I am. Their assumption of me may not be right because I don't have a relationship with this person. I think that that criticism would have come um, a little bit better, a little bit easier. And not only that, be a little bit more true if that person truly knew who I was and had a relationship. So before you just go off and start judging every little person, first off, we've got to get the plank out of our own eye. But secondly, we need to develop a relationship with that person before we just start going and naming off every little thing that that person has done. Um, those are my own personal thoughts. So she really goes through this chapter just talking all about how we are to hold our friends accountable, hold them accountable. Um, you know, and, and if you see someone that's doing something that's, that's not going down the right path, help them out, right? Help them out by saying, Hey, you know, um, I see you going down this different path. Like I want to be here for you. I want to, I want to, I want to, um, hold you accountable. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but be sure that you are not being hypocritical. Okay, so the very last chapter that we have here, we're going through these kind of fast today. The very last chapter that we're going to do today is called Friends. And this chapter is all about being the boss of ourselves. So the whole premise of this chapter is all about how we can become very confused thinking that scripture is all about us, you know, making the Bible fit our life. She says that it's no wonder Christians are so confused about what God really wants for their lives. We've been taught to read the scriptures through the lens of self, meaning what does this passage say about me? What does it mean to me? How can it help me feel better? What character do I must resonate with in the story? How can I grab life by the horns, chase my dreams and control my destiny while grabbing a few Bible verses to encourage me along the way? So this right here, I think the biggest way to combat this, you know, taking scripture, twisting it, or only applying it to our lives whenever we see fit, the best way I feel like to do this and to get away from this is to understand that we are not, um, we cannot try to fit the Bible to fit our life, right? The Bible is, is what it says. We can't try to twist it. And, and make it fit to what we want to say. People really take a lot of the Bible and the verses out of context to make them have um, basically ammunition for their, for their arguments that they have. But also, I think one way to, to, to take care of this, to combat this, is 
reading the Bible all the way through. When you read the Bible all the way through, and I'm talking like a study Bible, you know, really understanding the history and the way that things take place in the scripture, you will see that it is one seamless story. So right now I'm actually preparing to do a summer life group with the group of people from my church. And we're going to be doing um, a book by Angie Smith called Woven. Angie wrote Woven, but she also wrote a book series called Seamless. And she goes through and talks about how the Bible is not just a collection, a bunch of random stories, just all piled together. It is actually one seamless story. It goes all together. So when you read the entire word, you're able to really spend time and digging deep into the word and not taking Bible verses just out of context and applying them to it wherever you want. When you really take the time to research the time and the history and the people of what you're reading and the context, it goes so much deeper um, instead of just taking a few verses here and there and applying it to whatever you want to in your life. So she goes on to say what Jesus says about the word of God. What does scripture, what does the Bible say about um, how we're supposed to live and how, how does it help us in our life? So she says, Elisa says, that the Bible isn't about you. It's not about any of us. It's not just a book of wisdom to help guide us through life. It's not an ancient spiritual travel journal written by people who were just doing their best to understand God. Um, the Bible is a book about God. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about the way that he's come through for his people. And more specifically, it's a book about Jesus. It's all, and you're able to see that as you're going through the Bible. So, um, she mentions that Jesus quoted scripture all the time and he did, but the new Testament didn't exist at the time that he was alive. So he was actually quoting Jewish scripture. He was, he was quoting the books of the Old Testament. So what does he say? What does he say about the Bible? Well, first off, Jesus knows and says that it is the word of God. It is God breathed. It is the word of God. He also um, said that the books of the Old Testament were inspired by God. He says that the scriptures were historically reliable He also says that scriptures are without error, meaning there were people during that time who were still taking scriptures and they were like, "Mm, I don't really like this part of it, so I'm going to argue against it. Well, Christ said that the scriptures are without error. Jesus also said that God's word will never pass away. So that is a theme in the Old and the New Testament. So he truly believed that. And um, so Elisa also lists out ways that we can use the Bible and we can make sense of it. So as you're reading along, there are some things that we have to understand. We understand that it's not just one book. It's a collection of books, but there is, it is a seamless thread. So it's a collection of books that were written over a period of about 1500 years by approximately 40 different authors. The people who were writing these books were from all over. They were in all different locations of the world. They came from all different backgrounds. Some were doctors, some were um, people in the political realm of things. Um, they They were just people of all different backgrounds, but yet they had one common 
theme, one common thread throughout, and that was that it was God's word. So here are some tips that Elisa has for us on making sense of the scripture. The first thing that she has to say is to understand and know the genre. So in the Bible, there's all sorts of genres like poetry, historical narratives. Um, I will tell you, uh, Leviticus in the Old Testament is, it's an interesting book. <laughs> it's a lot of laws, you know, it's it's a very interesting book. So she wants you to understand the different genres of the Bible. Number two, practice good grammar. And she means this by saying that there are all sorts of things that are in the Bible, that there's metaphors, there's uh, figures of speech. Um, she said, if, for example, um, scripture describes Jesus as a door, a shepherd, a stone, bread, a lion, a root, and a vine. Um, so you have to understand that these are obviously all metaphors. Okay, so know your grammar. Number three, compare scripture with scripture. So she's saying, you know, there are parts of the Bible that are easier to understand. Some are crystal clear and some you have to really dig deep into. And she mentions, use the scripture, you know, cross-reference. That's what a study Bible is so great for, to cross-reference back and forth to help explain one section of scripture that you may not understand or sometimes there are some things that we read and it references something else that happened maybe in the Old Testament or in another section of the Bible. And when you cross-reference, when you have a study Bible, you'll, you're able to see that reference. Number four, consider the context. I mean, we've already talked about this. This is really, really important to understand that we can't just pick out um, a verse and just apply it however we want. There is a historical context to it. There is an overarching view, she says. So this has a whole, you know, they, they may be talking about something much deeper than what you are trying to apply it to. Um, number five, apply the, pa- apply the passage to your life. So meaning, she is saying that, she actually says, she says, when I was younger, I had no clue about this. I would just simply pluck an Old Testament battle out of its historical context and instantly apply it to some kind of spiritual battle I find myself in. Um, so she's saying that, you know, applying these, applying these stories to our lives isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we have to know the whole story before we just start applying it to our lives. So understanding the scripture, you know, for what it's worth, is very important instead of trying to say, well, how does this scripture help me out? You know, it's all about me. You know, it's all about, um, what I, what I want it to be about because I am, I am, it's all about me, me, me. I mean, we, uh, we understand that this is our culture. So reading the scripture, reading the Bible, she mentions a quote by, uh, James Montgomery, I think it's Boosie, B-O-I-C-E. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but he is a pastor and theologian. And this is what he says about the Bible. He says, the Bible is something more than a body of revealed truths, a collection of books verbally inspired of God. It is also the living voice of God. The living God speaks through its pages. Therefore, it is not to be valued as a sacred object to be placed on a shelf and neglected, but as holy ground where people's hearts and minds may come into vital contact with the living, gracious, and disturbing God. So 
we're mentioning here that, you know, to really dig deep into the word and really come with fresh eyes into the word, you know, try to understand the historical context, try to understand the deeper meaning of it instead of just plucking out whatever you think works best for you, but really understanding the word and then up, then using it to help you guide and guide yourself into your life or guide it, help, help as a guide into your life. I have mentioned many times here before different Bibles that I love. One in particular is the message version. And I truly believe that, um, that, you know, it's, it's so important to really dig deep into the word, get out those highlighters, get out those pens. You know, you, you do have some people who are like, I am not writing in my Bible and that's fine if you, if you don't want to do that. But, um, I really love whenever people have dug deep into their Bibles and their, their Bibles are just, you know, just filled with, with color because they have highlighted and they've dug and they've written notes. And so I really, really encourage you, if you do not have a Bible that you are really just understanding and drawn to, then and go, go Bible shopping. NIV is a great way to start. Um, so that, that's a great version to, to try to get the message version is a great version as well. If you do not have a Bible and you are not able to get one at this time, I would recommend just using the Bible app. It's so easy to use and it's very user-friendly to use on your phone. Um, I have it on my phone just so I have the Bible wherever I am. What's great about the Bible app also, first off, it's free, but secondly, I'm able to look up whatever verse I want, but then I'm also able to bounce back and forth between different versions, different translations of those verses. So I may really, really love the way that the message says it, but I may want to understand it a little bit differently. I may want to see how it's said differently in a different translation. Um, so I'm able to switch back and forth between any translation that I want. So I highly recommend using that app as well. They have many uh, Bible plans, Bible reading plans, uh, studies on that app, as well as a verse of the day. So I would highly recommend getting the Bible app on your phone. Well, guys, we only have three more chapters left of this book study. I hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed this book study, Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Lisa Childers. We're actually going to wrap up the last three chapters in our next podcast episode next week. And this is just in time for the summer. The summer is coming. So I'm so excited to share with you guys all summer ideas, summer travel ideas, anything that is summer related. I'm going to be sharing um, in the next few weeks with you guys. Um, as always, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed this uh, segment. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out on all social media platforms. And as always, guys, continue to be raw, be authentic, and be you. Thanks so much for joining me with this podcast episode. I hope you'll be back for our next episode that we will have in the series. Uh, until then, if you need any other Truths and Gratitude content, you can check out Truths and Gratitude on the Instagram page or check out truthandgratitude.com where you can find all things that are faith, travel, and truth. As always, guys, continue to be raw, be authentic, and be you.